Praise the Lord. Message today is cast your bread upon the waters. Out of Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters. A few weeks ago when those of us responsible to make a decision concerning the outreach into this city, Christ City Lighthouse, six or seven of us came together. We deliberated and prayed. It was decision time. There was some delay because of the present circumstances of the world today. We were going to launch earlier, but as we came together just a few weeks ago, it was decision time. And as we came to this meeting, we were praying and deliberating. And as we came together, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to move forward in this direction. That's how we felt. It seemed good after Acts chapter 15 to the Holy Spirit and to us to move forward with the vision increase the ministry of this house in this city, and bless this city in a fresh new way. As we came to the meeting, two of us had the identical scripture that we felt quickened by the Holy Spirit, and it was Ecclesiastes 11.1, cast your bread upon the waters. Let's look at this scripture, Ecclesiastes 11, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. It's a call to pour out ministry, to pour out feeding upon the people. It says, give a serving to seven and also to eight. I'm going to come back to the first phrase, cast your bread upon the waters, in just a few minutes. But I want to move down this passage, down through verse 6, because it flows together. Verse 2 says, give a portion or a serving to seven, and also to eight. For you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Give a portion to seven. The Bible says be generous. Be lavish in your giving. Be lavish in your serving. Seven, it seems like a full number. It's all you can do. But if number eight shows up, God says try and help number eight too. Because you don't know what evil will be on the earth. And if your opportunity will be missed. It says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. The clouds have to be full of rain before they empty themselves and bring life and refreshing to the earth. The Apostle Jude and Peter both warned in their final letters of a time when ministries would deviate from the true preaching of the gospel, the true message of Jesus Christ. And both of these men compared them. They said they are like clouds without water. False ministries, clouds without water. They have a pretense, but no promise. They have a show, but no substance. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves. Now, the principle of rain is not hidden from us. Job 36, 27 to 28 tells us very clearly that God draws up the water from the earth, the water vapor from the earth. And according to the vapor that ascends to the heaven, so the rain falls. We're responsible to send up the vapor of worship, of prayer, of intercession, of giving. And God does a miracle as we send the vapor heavenward. God does a miracle in the heavens. There's condensation and the rain begins to fall. God's principle is evaporation, condensation, precipitation. When prayers are complete, the rain falls. When prayers are complete, the rain falls. And we want to be clouds full of water. We want to give the rain of heaven and bring life to the world. Further, it says, and if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, 
there it shall lie. Sobering words. A tree can only fall two directions. It can either fall to the north or it can fall to the south. Then it's final. The north in Scripture is depicted as the place of God's dwelling. God dwells in the north, the highest place, the highest point. Lucifer, in his rebellion, said, I will ascend the mount of the congregation. I will sit on the sides of the north. I want to be in the place of God. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Psalm 48. Psalm 75 says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. It comes from the Lord. It comes from the north, the place of God's presence, the place of God's life. When they slew the sacrifices in the Old Testament at the altar, the sacrifices were killed on the side of the altar northward. God is represented as the north. Now when a tree falls and it, reps, it represents humanity, every man and woman, when a tree falls it can either fall either to the north or to the south in our death. In our decease, we either fall toward the presence of God or we fall away from the presence of God. And we must get the gospel message out. John the Baptist said the axe is already lying at the root of the trees. The axe is lying at the root of the trees, every person. And every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The axe is lying at the root of every tree, every life. The judgments of God upon sin and upon the sinner. But the axe isn't engaged. It's not active yet. It's lying there. It's waiting for repentance. But there, when there is no repentance in a life, eventually that tree is cut down and that tree is cast into the fire, meaning hell, Gehenna, the fire unquenchable. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. There's always a reason not to get involved in ministry, not to pour out, not to do things. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, it says, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. This passage is so intertwined in the gospel, in ministry, in pouring out to people, in reaching the trees, in casting bread on the water. It says, we do not know the way of the wind or how the bones form in the womb of her that is with child. The birth of a child. That's right, we don't understand how it is that a person can be born again. But something happens with the wind. And something happens with the creative life of God, new creation, life in us. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, you must, you must be born again. He said, the wind blows and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh, the natural man is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It is life everlasting. 
miracle of the wind. The Holy Spirit moves upon our life. There's a creation, and we come forth as sons and daughters of God who can understand the miracle of new creation life, of our salvation. It's as real as the wind. It's a mystery, but it's real, and we are sons and daughters of God today. Bible says, in the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Reaching humanity, pouring out the gospel, new creation life, sowing our seed. Number one this morning, cast your bread upon the waters. Cast your bread upon the waters, the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, For you will find it after many days. There will be a return. Let's notice the words. My brother highlighted the word bread to me. I'd never looked upon it or considered it in this way. Cast your bread upon the waters. It doesn't say cast your seed upon the waters. It says cast your bread. Cast your bread. This is not seed. This is not seed grain. This is harvest grain. This is harvest already reaped. This is bread or grain for making it. This is not something undeveloped. Cast your bread on the waters. This is not something embryonic, something undeveloped. This is something that is developed so that the immediately when people partake of it, they're strengthened and they're blessed and they're edified. It doesn't take time. It's immediate consequence in their life. This is strong ministry. This is strong feeding of the word and the ways of God upon the people. Cast your bread upon the waters. So there doesn't have to be a time of waiting, but the people are immediately brought into the fullness and the taste and the life of God. Cast your bread on the waters. This isn't a handful of seed. This is an abundance of bread. This is baskets full of bread. Cast your bread upon the waters. It's an allusion, it seems, to the ancient ships that would go out across the seas to gather the treasure and the commodities from distant shores. Ships would go out like Solomon's ships, as we read in Scripture, and Solomon's ships came home every three years, loaded down with spices and treasures and the precious fruits of other nations of the earth. He even had in there some beautiful birds and intriguing animals. He brought the best from the whole world back into his kingdom at Jerusalem and into Judea. But this ship in Ecclesiastes 1 isn't going out to get, it's going out to give. Its holds aren't empty. This ship is loaded down with the benefits and blessings of God. It's going out on the waters of the earth to bring blessing, to bring life, to bring feeding, to bring strength, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people. This ship is loaded down with the bread of heaven. And the waters, the Bible is clear, the waters, Revelation 17, the waters are peoples and nations and multitudes and languages. 
And the call of Ecclesiastes 1, cast your bread upon the waters, is that we pour out our ministry and our prayers and our finances and teachings and preachings of the gospel and all the help that we can to the people of earth. Give a portion to seven, but if number eight comes, try and help him too. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you know not what God will prosper. But we know one promise is sure. If we cast our bread, if we cast our bread on the waters, it will return to us after many days. There will be a reward for the kingdom of God. Number one today, cast your bread. Cast your bread upon the waters. Number two, stir a passion in your heart for God. Emotion never hurt the church. Lack of emotion does. Enthusiasm never hurt the church. Lack of enthusiasm does. Stir a passion in your heart for God and for the things of God. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4, he says it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. It's good to be zealously affected in a good thing. When you put on your garments... Don't forget the garment of zeal. Don't forget the cloak of zeal, spiritual zeal upon your life. Our God is a God of zeal. Isaiah 59 gives us a description of God. It says he clad himself with zeal as a cloak. God put on zeal as a cloak. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts, we read in Scripture, will perform it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Jesus Christ wore this holy garment. He was a man of zeal. Those that observed him said, zeal for the house of God has consumed him. That the house be a house of beauty. That it be a house of strength and healing and prayer and power. He'll cleanse the temple if need be. Because he has a zeal for the purposes of God. Stir a passion in your heart for God. This is up to us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, you stir in my life. I want to be involved. I want to be enthusiastic. I want to be excited about the kingdom of God. And I make a decision, a spiritual decision, that I will be. I'm going to brighten up in the things of God. I'm going to take on a fresh zeal and a fresh fire in my soul for the work of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. The young prophet Zechariah said, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. I'm going to comment on these verses as we go. And it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses red, sorrel, and white. The man riding on the red horse, we interpret as being Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven, God of the angel armies, the captain of the Lord's host. He said, I saw a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow. The myrtle trees in Scripture represent the people of God. The myrtle tree was a lowly shrub, a small evergreen, beautifully fragrant. And here it is, down in the hollow of humility. God's people. And the rider on the red horse is among them. The presence of the Lord is with us. 
Behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. These are the chariots and horses of the heavenly host. This is the army that rides the heaven to our help. Then I said, my Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees, our Lord, answered and said, these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, another term designating Jesus, our Lord. So they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. King James says, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth sits still and is at rest. Just the way the devil likes it. Now when it comes to the world condition, the devil loves chaos. Strife and war and riots and division, bloodshed, hatred. When it comes to the world scene, Satan loves chaos. But there's one place he loves it quiet, and that is the gospel ministry. Spiritual activity, the work of the Lord. Then the quieter, the better. And it was an earth that didn't have spiritual activity in it. The Bible says that the army of the Lord... The chariots and horses of God, they ride to and fro through the earth. They go up and down on it. They're inspecting. They're giving a report of what is taking place in the earth. But there's somebody else that walks to and fro in the earth and goes up and down on it. Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Satan, where have you been? Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. Oh, Satan says, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. I've been walking up and down in it. I've been overseeing my interests. I've been protecting my interests. The Lord walks up and down in the earth, and Satan walks up and down in the earth. And in Zechariah's day, the earth, it says, was quiet and at rest. No spiritual activity. The people of God were bedded down in Babylon. Worldliness. Cozied up to the world. You could hardly tell the difference between somebody who was a Christian and somebody who wasn't. One big blur. There were a few outstanding men like Daniel and others. But most of the people had slipped into Babylon and were enjoying their worldly lifestyle and worldly entertainment just like everybody else, and only a remnant ever came out again. At this time, there was no Jerusalem, no city of God. It was in ruins. There was no house of God. It had been torn down. It had been burned with fire. 
There was no worship in the church. There was no incense. There was no prayer. There was no preaching and teaching. There was no laying on hands or laying on of hands of the people to heal them. There was no activity in the temple. It had been torn down. And the land, the promised land, had been overrun by strangers. The earth sits still and is quiet, just the way the devil likes it. But it's not the way Jesus likes it. It's not the way Jesus likes it. He said, think not that I have come to send peace on the earth. Matthew 10. Think not that I have come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. The power of the gospel, the message of the gospel, the power of the gospel covenant cutting through the land, dividing the people, awaking the hearts, dividing the people, and yes, sadly, Jesus said, even dividing families. When Jesus walked in his ministry, there was opposition. The earth wasn't quiet, was it? There was clash. There was argument. There was division over Jesus Christ and his message. When the early apostles walked at the message of the gospel, there was persecution. There was clash. There was opposition. And earth no longer at rest, no longer still, but active in a spiritual way. Zechariah 1.12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you were angry these 70 years? Imagine it, 70 years without a move of God. 70 years without strong spiritual activation in a nation. How long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem? And on the cities of Judah, against which you were angry these 70 years, and the Lord answered the angel who talked with me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. I'm zealous for my church. I'm zealous for my kingdom. I'm zealous for my people with great zeal. I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry, and they helped but with evil intent. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem, my city, the new Jerusalem today. I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to get involved with my people, and I'm going to have a display of my power, and my kingdom's going to rise, and my churches are going to be strong, and my people are going to be fervent. I am zealous over my house and over my people. Haggai 1, 12 to 14. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadek, the high priest with all the remnant of the people. Zerubbabel was the governor, Joshua the high priest. And all the remnant of the people 
those who came back to build, to invest, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. What a beautiful phrase. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. God stirred up the hearts of the people. And there was a response to the work of the Lord. Now Haggai and Zechariah are prophesying the same thing. They were contemporaries. They worked together. Haggai was the old prophet. Zechariah was the young prophet. They stirred the people together. They changed the times together. They came into a situation where there was low spiritual activity and earth at rest, sitting still. But the Spirit of God was upon these men. And by the word of the Lord and by the scriptures, they stirred the people back to zeal for God and to the building of the house of the Lord and for raising up the house of God in the name of the Lord in the land. The old prophet and the young prophet, two generations in the house, old man and young man together, two generations in this house, the old prophets and the young prophets. And we must pick up a zeal for God and we must pick up the work of God in our time and in our place. Both prophets stirred the people. Both prophets changed the time, but the younger prophet saw farther than the old prophet. Zechariah saw farther than Haggai, and thus it must always be. He must increase, but I must decrease. The new generation has to come to the fore, but we work together for the goodness of the Lord. Point number two today, stir up passion in your heart for God. Let the zeal of the Lord consume you. Let the fire of God take on some enthusiasm. Take on some new interest for the work of the Lord. And let the zeal of the Lord take you forward in ministry and in the great work of God. Number three, believe for the promise of Haggai 2.9. Verse 9 says, The glory of this latter house or temple, shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. That's verse 9. The glory of this latter house, Haggai, Zechariah said, shall be greater than of the former. The former was Solomon's temple, destroyed, burned with fire. The house of God in Jerusalem fell. Seventy years later, they began to rebuild. The prophet said the glory of this latter house will be greater than of the former. And the people could hardly believe it. What could be greater than the former house? What could be greater than Solomon's temple lying in ruins? But God had something different in mind. He was moving on in the evolving history of salvation. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Now verse 7 says, God said, I will shake all nations. I will shake all nations with my gospel. 
I will shake all nations with the message of my salvation. Jesus Christ and him crucified. This message is going to go through all the earth. I will shake all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations. It's capitalized in the New King James. The desire of all nations is Jesus Christ himself, our Savior. He's the desire of all nations. The desired one who is greater, who is more loved and admired by the people of God than Jesus Christ. He's the desire that we have out of all nations. I will shake all nations. They shall come to the desire of all nations. The King James says, and the desire of all nations will come. The desire. I'll shake all nations. The desire of all nations will come. Jesus Christ will come. The Messiah will come. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. The glory of this latter temple, this latter house of God, shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give shalom. I will give prosperity. I'll give peace. I'll give life to my people. The glory of this latter house shall be greater. It's a promise from God that whatever has been in the past or even in the present, the future will be greater than anything we've experienced in the past or even in the present. That's the heart of God. That's the desire of God. What? As we pick up the zeal of the Lord, as we get involved with the work of God, the zeal of the Lord, as we get to work and put our finances to the work, God has a claim on his people. God has a claim on all of us today. We're not our own, the Bible says. We are bought with a price. Therefore, we must glorify God in our body and in our spirit. We must give of our time, our talent, and our treasure to the work of the Lord. God has a claim on our finances, tithes, offerings, and alms for the work of the kingdom, for the prosperity of his house, for the extension of the gospel message in this locality and to the nations of the earth. God says the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Now we work together with God. We need finances, but so does God. He knows our need. He says, I will supply all your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He knows our need, and we know his need. I must be about my father's business. I must invest my finances into the kingdom. I must be faithful in tithes and offerings and alms, in generosity before the Lord. I, I must cast my bread upon the waters. I must... Give a portion to seven and even to eight. I must in the morning sow my seed and at night withhold not my hand. I must be about my father's business. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. And God says, I need the silver and the gold to extend my ministry and expand the gospel. Zechariah 2, verses 1 to 6. Zechariah said, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, 
to measure the city of God, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, Zechariah. Run, speak to this young prophet, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad. I have spread my people abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. They're going to be found in every direction of earth, north, south, east, and west. Run, tell this young man. Jerusalem's going to be inhabited as a city without walls. Run, tell this young man. Do you want to measure Jerusalem? Do you want to measure the city of God? Do you want to measure what God is doing? Throw your measuring line away. Because what God is going to do is far beyond your expectation. It's be far beyond your mind and imagination. He said the, God, the Jerusalem that God is building is not going to be in one geographical place in the Middle East on that hill. But the Jerusalem that God is building is going to spread abroad upon all the nations of the earth. It'll be the heavenly Jerusalem. It'll be the city of God. It'll be the people of God gathered out of all nations of the earth. Run, young man. Run. Tell this young man. Is there a young man in the house today? Anyone willing to have the spirit of a young man? Anyone today willing to put off the old man and put on the new? Run with the vision of God. Listen, what God is going to do is beyond our expectation. If we work with him, if we get cooperating with his zeal, if we pour our finances, if we pour our strength, if we pour our prayers, if we pour our ministry, it is beyond because our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Man, we had a former house, didn't we? Over on 132nd Avenue and 90th Street. Ministry that started out in 1965. God has blessed and God has prospered because there have been praying people and giving people and pillar people and people that have a zeal for God and the ministry of the Lord. I stand today and say with all my heart, I've been involved with this church for 48 years and the glory of the latter house is greater than of the former. What God has done is beyond expectation. What God has done is beyond mind and imagination. He exceeds. He's exceeding abundantly, able to do above what we ask or think. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Haggai said the desire of all nations will come to this house, to this new Jerusalem, the mother of us all. We've been born of her. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than of the former, and it was. 
because the desire of all nations showed up in that house. Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, they're right at the end of the Old Testament. They're right in the last pages. And all you have to do is turn one or two pages and you find the desire of all nations has come. The Son of God, Jesus Messiah, he's walking in the temple. He's healing the sick in the temple. He's preaching and teaching in the temple. He's cleansing the temple. He says this house is to be a house of prayer for all nations of the earth. Everybody's welcome to come and seek the Lord and serve the Lord. He received the children in the temple. Bring the little ones to me. He heard them worshiping and praising the Lord. And he said, haven't you read the scripture? Out of the mouth of infants and suckling children, the Lord has perfected praise unto God our Father. The glory of the latter house was greater because Jesus showed up in that house. But it also says the desire of all nations will come. Translations have different directions on this. Two directions. Is it referring to the desire of all nations, Jesus Christ? Or is it referring to the desirable things of all nations, as the Margil says? New King James, I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire. It's really the desirable things of the nations will come to the house. The glory of this latter house was and is greater than of the former because the Gentiles, all nations of the earth, have been gathered to the presence of the Lord. The desirable things of all nations have come to the house of God. Good morning, desirable things. You're the desired of God. You're the object of his love and his affection. He says, I'm going to go out into all the earth. This Jerusalem, this city of God, this new Jerusalem that I'm building is going to be in a spiritual dimension. And I'm going to gather people out of all distant shores. I'm going to bring the, bring the treasures out of all nations of the earth. And I'm going to gather them in my house. My house will truly be a house for all nations. And here we are today, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. We're the desired of the nations. We're the desirable things of the nations. And the glory of the latter house truly is greater than the former. Worship team, come. This morning, let's have a fresh spirit to get involved with God. Number one, cast your bread upon the waters. Let's be lavish. Let's be liberal. Let's be givers. Let's pour out our praises. The glory of the latter house shall be greater. Yeah, in souls, in finances, in prayer, in worship, in ministry, in offerings, in the glory of God. Let's stir a passion in our hearts for God. And point number three, Let's believe for the promise of Haggai 2.9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Whatever God has done to this point, the future will be greater because the promise of God is sure. He's going to work in us unto the end, increase and build our families, this house of God, and the kingdom ministry. Let's stand together this morning. 
Let's offer ourselves to the Lord this morning. Let's take on fresh vision for our lives. Let's cast off the limitation and throw away your measuring line this morning. Say, Lord, use me beyond what I could even ask or think or what I even thought. Use our ministry. Use this church. Use the influence across the nations of the world and in this city for the glory of your name and your righteousness. Hallelujah. Let's yield ourselves to the Lord this morning.